0: You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. So, uh, tonight is um, Thursday. So, uh, welcome to... I see a few of you non-normally Thursday people here, so thanks for being here. And... um, We're looking forward to a great weekend and a continuation of our series in Romans. And so I I just want to say that the Lord loves you. I don't know if anybody's told you that today. Jesus loves you, and he doesn't have to work up his love for you. He made you, you know. Do you have to work up your love for your kids? Maybe when they're teenagers, but when not when they're born, not when they're little, right? And you don't have to work up or, or plan anything there. God loves you so much. And uh, he demonstrated that love towards you by coming uh, out of eternity, stepping out of eternity, coming into a uh, temporal space where we exist, because he's eternal and we're temporal. And uh, he became a man so that we could understand him, so that we could know him, so he would be knowable, uh, because we can't really comprehend who God is. He's spirit. And uh, I think that's a demonstration of love. And then Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. I think that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so the book of Romans that we're going through is about the gospel, and the gospel is about Jesus. And so let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts, open our eyes tonight. I'm looking forward to Uh, uh, doing another session here out of Romans and uh, I thank you that um, I've been able to learn a lot doing this and I know that it's impacting people your word always accomplishes what you set it out to do and it doesn't return void but it, it returns having finished what you sent it out to do so thank you Father for this privilege of going through a few more verses in Romans and I pray Holy Spirit that you would lead us and guide us into all truth like you said you would. I pray that we would each hear from you tonight and go home changed, Uh, each one of us. And that's the amazing thing about you, God, that you can speak to each one of us while we're here. Uh, God, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Romans, uh, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he's he's mostly speaking to believers. Uh, He's giving them uh, uh, an understanding of their faith, he's giving them a deeper understanding of theology. Theology is the study of God. Theos is God and ology is the study of or the love of. So he's giving us a deeper understanding of theology. But all through Romans, he's speaking to people who are not sure that they want to commit their life to Christ. He's speaking to people that are not quite sure. Yeah, I know I should be a good person, but I don't know about this stuff. And he's giving us good, good arguments Uh, not arguing us but good apologetics good uh, logic and so uh, that's one of the things I loved about some of the songs we sang uh, tonight Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your strength and all your mind so it's not one or the other he didn't say love the Lord your God with all your strength or your soul or your heart or your mind he said and God is an and God And he includes lots of things in there. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Those are totally opposite things. Grace is all shades of gray and let people slide and love people and extend forgiveness, extend second chances. He was full of that, and he was full of truth. Actually, this is pretty black and white. It's pretty clear over here. Which one was he? Well, we choose the one that we like the best, the one that we align with best, but Jesus was full of both of those. Isn't that amazing? So we're in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 16 we're going to go through tonight, and we're going to launch from these verses over into a few verses in James, uh, because Paul makes some statements here, and I want to clarify that and spend a little bit of extra time on that. If you ladies were in the Bible study on Tuesday night, Terry and I realized last week, we go, uh, we're preaching on the same thing uh, this next week, so I think that's pretty good. Terry's with her mom in Phoenix, Uh, a couple of you have asked, so... Um, Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 11. This is kind of a repeat of the last verse of last week. God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin... Remember, Gentiles are anybody who's not Jewish. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. And so um, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews, who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. So a conscience or our conscience is is an inward monitor that lets us know when we've done wrong. What the law does for the for the Jews, the conscience does for the Gentile. We all have God's law one way or the other. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Every secret will be judged. Every secret will be made known. Uh, And that day is coming. So honestly, if something is not covered... By the blood of Jesus, by faith in him, and, and your sins are not removed from you as far as the east is from the west, you're going to have to answer for those things. That's a, it's a pretty big deal. Last week we talked about the day. Here it is again. So um, just a few thoughts on those uh, uh, verses there. People aren't condemned for what they don't know, but for what they do with what they do know. Does that make sense? We're not condemned for what we don't know, but everyone will be judged by the standard they have. So the Gentiles will be judged because the law of God is written on their hearts, but they knew what they knew. They broke anyway, and the Jews will be judged because the law of God uh, that He gave them, that He gave to Moses, that law uh, they knew it, but they broke it anyway. So it doesn't matter really. Here, uh, we're judged. Uh, Fairly. Remember, the first verse here is God uh, is fair. God does not show favoritism. So some people say, well, how about those Gentiles? They didn't have the law that the Jews had. And Paul's uh, making the argument here. He's saying, listen, they do have God's law. It's written on their heart. It's called our conscience. In every every culture that you go to in the world, murder is wrong. Rape is wrong. Child abduction and kidnapping is wrong. Everybody agrees that. Why? Because this moral law is given by a moral law giver, which is one of the arguments for the existence of God, uh, everybody has that. Every human being has that. It's universal. And even though we know what's right or wrong, we still break it, every single person. So Paul's going to get into that. So Paul is talk- talking here about listening uh, versus obedience here. It's a, big, uh, it's a big deal, what he says um, for Back in verse 13, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. And I want to talk about that because we don't earn our salvation by works. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's just saying that listening it is not enough. Uh, there's a little uh, YouTube uh, blip from Francis Chen, one of my favorite preachers, and uh, he's talking about this very thing about uh, the great commission that was our theme last year we had a thing over here and the verse says therefore go make disciples of all nations all people groups teaching them to obey everything that i've commanded them Uh, uh, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit you know but teaching them to obey everything that i've commanded not just to learn what he commanded but to obey what he commanded and so francis chan says he talks to his daughter and he says hey Uh, uh, it's time to go clean your room. So she comes back a couple hours later, and he says, did you clean your room? And she goes, no, but I memorized it. You said, go clean your room, like (laughs) this. She goes, I even learned it in Greek. And uh, I'm going to call some of my friends, and we're going to have a little group together, and we're going to study how to clean your room. And he goes, but did you clean your room? Like this, so does that make sense? God is doesn't want us to just talk about the Great Commission. He doesn't just want us to talk about the things that He's teaching us. He wants us to actually do them. So I think that's pretty humorous. It's a great illustration. So over uh, in James, uh, the book of James, uh, written by the brother of Jesus. Not the James of James and John, because the James, one of the early apostles, uh, James, he was the first one killed by King Herod, Uh, but this is James later on in the first century. James wrote a book uh, to the church, a letter to the church, and so in James, which is probably the most practical book, down-to-earth book in the New Testament, actually Martin Luther Uh, the great reformer, he didn't really like James. He said it was like lightweight theology. But actually he didn't have this understanding uh, how um, the practical outworking of our faith is actually what demonstrates to the world that what we have is genuine. And so um, we have uh, probably the largest and most practical teaching on this thing about obeying and uh, listening versus obeying and works versus faith, that kind of thing. So uh, that's what I want to spend a few minutes on tonight. Number one, faith without works is dead. Have you ever heard that before? It's a very common saying that comes straight from James. In James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, he asks a question, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, uh, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What good is that? It's no good. Can that faith save him? No. He's asking questions and he's expecting us to answer these while we're reading along. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? That's no good. And can that faith save him? The answer is no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? He's asking another question. What good is that? Again, the answer is it's no good. That faith is no good. Verse 17, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a pretty strong statement there. Um, But the first um, passionate and repeated point that James makes in this section is not that works must be added to faith, but that genuine faith includes works. If your faith is really real, if it's genuine, if it's authentic, there's going to be an outworking. There's going to be a demonstration of that. Um, It's the very nature of authentic faith to express itself in good works. Uh, Don't forget, God is an and God. He's an and God, right? Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not or. Or. Uh, last week we talked about he's just and kind. He's, he is, God is perfectly just and he's perfectly kind. And so also there's a famous verse in Joshua chapter one, verse eight. I would encourage you to get your kids and grandkids to memorize this verse, pay them 10 bucks, pay them a hundred bucks, whatever it takes, get them to get this verse in their heart. This is God speaking to Joshua right at the moment that he's taking over leadership of Israel after Moses died. And uh, Joshua's a little bit afraid. Uh, God says several times, be of good courage. Uh, don't fear. Be very courageous. And this, this verse right here, uh, this book of the law, that's the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. How are you going to meditate on God's word day and night unless you don't know it? Get into God's word enough to get, get the word of God in you so you can think about it. While you're working, while you're driving, Uh, it just can be part of this ongoing uh, uh, thing that's going on in you. So that you may be careful to do. Not only know God's word, but be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. I say that to you. Do you want to be prosperous? Do you want to be successful? Not a name and claim it, not a false uh, prosperity gospel way, but God does want to bless his children. Do you want to succeed in what God has called you to do? Do you want to succeed in what God has gifted you to do and positioned to you, uh, uh, for you to do? And it's, the Bible says that it is, everybody's appointed uh, the place to live, the time to live. And uh, God has determined you to be at the culmination of the ages, and there's a reason for it. And um, so I would challenge your kids to do that, but it's also true for us. Uh, We're careful to follow God's word and we're careful to actually do it because God is an and God. You know, if you're in an airplane and you have a left wing and a right wing, and someone says, Well, which wing do you want to fly with? Well, actually, I want to fly with both, thank you very much. Just like we want salt and pepper and just like we want fish and chips and just like we wanted Laurel and Hardy there are no new com- comedy groups i try to find a new one that the kid, like the kids they don't even know who laurel and hardy is uh but there's no new ones really uh bacon and eggs san and francisco so um so james <laughs> i just wonder if you get that so james is uh saying that faith and works go together here. They're part of each other. So point number two, are you ready for it? It's very profound. Seriously, faith without works is dead. Point number one, faith without works is dead. Point number two, seriously, faith without works is dead. Uh, My grandkids say that to us sometimes if we don't understand what they're, seriously, grandpa, you're like this. James 2, 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And now it's not written there, but what he's saying is, and I'll say, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not... Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? It's a question, and the answer is yes. Abraham didn't have a Bible, he didn't have the law of Moses. There was no Jewish nation. He was the first one. All he had was a word from the Lord, and he acted on it, he left his land left his family, left his inheritance, left, left everything he knew and followed God to this promised land, the land that God had promised him. And, and when he got there, he said, look up, do you see the stars, uh, the sand of the seashore? You won't be able to count the generations that will come from you. And Abraham just obeyed God. He was pretty much a jerk the rest of the time. He, he had this inner conscience that God put on him. But he didn't he, he didn't live like we would expect a Christian to live, you know. He had more than one wife, and his wife didn't get pregnant, so he offered her his servant so that she could get pregnant and have a child instead. This is all, this would be scandalous here. But Abraham is the father of faith. Why? Because he believed God and he did it. He heard the, the voice of God and he did it. And so we have this great, great heritage now of generations and generations. We have the, the Word of God uh, for us, and we have all kinds of friends and family and culture uh, of believers, and we have all this help here. Uh, but Abraham, he was the first one there, and it says he was justified because he obeyed God. He just did it. So, verse 22, you see that faith was active. I think that wasn't that the women's theme at the advanced a couple of years ago, active faith. Uh, his, that's where they got this, his faith was active along with works, his works, and faith was completed by his works. So James is giving us, uh, citing us a couple of of examples here. Um, In verse 23, he says again, and the scripture was fulfilled, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, I believed you, but it wasn't just a mental acquiescence belief, but it was actually acting on that belief. That active faith. Uh, and he was called a friend of God. That's pretty good. I'm going to ask him about it someday. We'll see him in heaven. Say, Abraham, did you realize all, everything was going to happen? What did you think you know, when God said these things? Did you really do that? Because you obeyed him, and that was a big deal. And it meant a lot to God because he calls you a friend of God. Um, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Do the works save us? No. Paul's not saying that they do. Back in Romans 2, where we are. James is not saying that. He's just saying that if you say you have faith, there's going to be fruit from it. It's going to be demonstrable. Uh, And he gives us another example here. In the same way, was it not also Rahab, the prostitute, who was not Jewish. Now we had a Jewish nation. They had several million people, and they were going into Jericho, and she hid the two spies. Remember Rahab uh, in Jericho, um, she was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She didn't know anything about the law that Moses had given the children of Israel. She didn't, she didn't you know, follow the Sabbath. She, didn't, she probably worshipped idols. But you know what? They took her out uh, and took her into the camp, into their camp, and she became a direct descendant of King David, who was a direct descendant of Jesus. So Rahab was in the lineage between Adam and Jesus. She was justified, counted righteous by what she did. I think that's amazing. So there's uh, four quick things about good works. A, uh, good works activate a person's faith. Uh, He says that your faith was active along with his works. And so faith walks together, hand in hand, uh, with good works. So uh, good works is the activating agent of our faith. B, good works will complete a person's faith. In verse 22, there in James, the faith was completed by his works. That means finished, completed, perfected. God is always, always, always about us growing. He's always, always, always about us producing fruit. And he says that this will be a process. Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. We'll complete it. We'll continue it on. Those are all different translations of that same Greek word. He's going to work this in you until the day of Jesus. There it is again, the day of Jesus, the day you see him. So in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 out of the English Standard Version, for by grace you have been saved through faith. What saves us? That faith. But is it real faith if there's no works? No. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we, we, we often stop there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. We don't go on to the next verse in context. Remember our miss series this summer? We just take things out of context. He, Paul goes straight into verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what we are created for, to represent him, his goodness, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works need to be seen, uh, see. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, he said, Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. A lot of times we have problems with doing stuff for show. Like, I only got to do this so people can see me. You know, I got to do this. Or your kids go, what do people have to do? What do they have to see? And... Paul tells Timothy, actually, we're encouraged by seeing your progress. Aren't you encouraged when you see a brother or sister in the Lord making progress in their faith? Maybe they were way off, and they're really getting it together and really following Jesus, applying uh, his word to their life, and they're, they're making uh, good steps. That is encouraging, because we can't see their heart. We can only see the fruit of their heart, the results, the works from their heart. And Jesus even said it in Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So shine brightly for Jesus. So guys, it's, not, it's nice thinking nice thoughts about your wife during the day when you're working hard. Isn't that sweet? But how on earth is she going to know unless you text her or call her or email her or bring her home flowers or something, some way to have works come out of that thought? All right? So we might have this faith. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I believe you. And we never do anything. There's no, what good is that? James asked that question three times. He goes, it's no good. So number four is good works must, 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 must always point to people to God by giving Him the glory. Jesus finished that verse in Matthew five sixteen. Uh, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, what if somebody can't do good works? Like the thief on the cross. Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. (sighs) Like this. Did he have time to go out and get baptized or go feed the hungry or do something? No. It's where is your heart uh, positioned here? And remember last week, in the verses last week, Paul said that the first good work that we do is to believe in Jesus. Anyway, um, that's in John uh, six twenty nine. So what's our takeaway for tonight? I, I, I purposefully made this very, very easy for us to follow. I want us to go home. So no, really, faith without works is dead. All right, okay, so that's our, thir- that's our takeaway point. For tonight. Yeah. All right. I had a good time preparing that. I hope you guys are having a good time. So when you go home tonight, just go, faith without works is dead. All right. For uh, James says in verse 26 of chapter 2, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So faith without works is dead. So we've got a quote here. Genuine faith is a reality on which you stake your life not merely a passive acceptance to a doctrine. It's really real. And you base your life on this. And Jesus says it very clearly in Matthew 7, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree its fruit here's the clincher Jesus said so you can identify people by their actions if you're ever having trouble assessing the character of a person Jesus told you how you look at the kind of fruit they produce is that new kid that your teenager is hanging around producing good fruit in your child or is there bad fruit coming around you can assess the situation there. It's, it's very easy. Um, so James goes on to give the example of feeding and clothing the poor. And, um, and he gave the example about Abraham and Rahab. So maybe take a little personal check, checklist of yourself. Since you came to Jesus, has, has anything changed? Has anything changed? I have a friend, his name is Dudley, and he was an alcoholic. And he lived, he said he lived for three things he lived to drink and fight and go out with girls. That's what he lived. He thought he was James Dean when he was like 23. And uh, he was a karate champion, and nobody could take him, and he was Mr. Confidence. And he came to Jesus, boom, one night. And he, his life was radically changed. And he goes uh, back to the pub. Uh, The next night, he says, give me a beer. I'm going to tell all my friends, you know, about Jesus. I encountered Jesus. And he took one drink, and he spit it out and threw it down. He goes, what are you trying to do, kill me? To the bartender. And he goes, give me another one. he did it like this, threw it out. And he has never had a drop of alcohol since that day. God said, you are not going to drink and continue to serve me. He's been serving Jesus now for 50 years. And so, but God's... When God impacts you, when you really believe, when you give your life to Jesus, things are going to change. Remember, you're not earning your way to heaven. It's a result. We talked about that last week. It's out of gratefulness and gratitude. Um, How about the way you conduct business? Are you honest in your business dealings? Or the way you treat your parents? If you're... Well, if they're still around. Or the way you treat your kids? Or how about... Paying your taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God the, th- the things that, God the things that are God's. Has your life changed? Has there been any difference at all since you came to Jesus? Uh, those are good questions to ask yourself. And some people might be thinking of things in here. That's God speaking to you, I believe. Mark, uh, Jesus said in Mark 7, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. He's talking to the religious people. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus really isn't after our words. Words are important. But he wants our hearts. He wants our words to reflect our hearts. Our heart is a big deal. It's a focus of who we are. and It's a focus of our soul. And it's also a like a barometer or a compass that tells us whether we're pointed to Jesus or not. Has Jesus captured our heart? Titus 1.6, Paul says, and T- Titus was one of Paul's young protégés. He was training Timothy and Titus. Timothy and 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, those are called the pastoral epistles because Paul's really training uh, these young men to serve God. And in, in here he says a, a comment, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. You might know somebody like that who claims to know God, but their actions, by their actions they deny him. There's something that goes hand in hand, and James says that faith without works is dead. And Jesus said that by your fruit uh, you'll know them, who they are. And um, then the actual verse there is Matthew 7:20. So then you will know them by their fruits. And then just uh, in the New Living Translation of that same verse, Jesus says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. So we have a, kind of a long quote here, but I want to I, I encourage you to memorize it. No, I'm just kidding. Just listen. All right. Some of you. All right. I still want you to wake up. And I want you to enjoy tonight because God loves you enough to tell you the truth. So here it is. If we create and then follow a list of rules in order to please God, we will simply become legalistic Pharisees. If we say we believe in God, but our outward life doesn't reflect an interchange, we're simply hypocritical pretenders, posers. True belief, authentic faith, that radical faith-filled trust and reliance on the grace and mercy of Almighty God will transform us from the inside out, resulting in changed thoughts, words, actions, and impact. When you encounter Jesus, really, your thoughts are going to change, your actions are going to change, your impact and the people around you will change. Johannes Gutenberg, you ever heard of him? On August 24th, 1456, That was 34 years before, 36 years before Columbus came to America, North America. It's a long time ago. He was a simple goldsmith, and he was a printer, and he was a believer, and he wanted to do well in his trade. So on August 24, 1456, that was the date of the first ever printed book with movable type. Until that time, they had to take a whole page and carve it out and print it, which was a big breakthrough. But that had been going on for a 1,000 years, and now they had movable type. And his whole goal in creating and inventing movable type printing press was so that he could get God's Word to everyday people. That was his goal. He changed the world, actually, Uh, God allowed him to do that. Uh, In those days, a Bible cost the average person, the average person, two years' wages to get a Bible. That's why they were chained to the pulpit of the local church. Uh, A Bible. But it got into everybody's hands. A little over 150 years ago, Florence Nightingale, heard of her name. Uh, She revolutionized hospital care. Uh, she revolutionized patient care, and some of the methods that she employed, uh, particularly in the Civil War and around that time, um, are still in in use today in hospitals around the world. She was a strong believer, and she wanted to serve Jesus and, and, and help people who were in desperate need by using her gifts uh, to serve others so that God gets the glory and She established schools. Nursing schools were established by her. That was her idea, to train nurses. Not just people who would clean up after a doctor, but actually train skilled uh, medical assistants. And that's been benefiting people ever since. Ever hear of Payne Stewart? He was a golfer whose life was going on a downward spiral. Uh, He was a great golfer, good golfer, uh, going down fast tell his friend Paul Azinger led him to the Lord and Payne Stewart his life turned around his marriage was restored uh, he started playing golf better and he won the U.S. Open in uh, 1999 he won the U.S. Open that means that day he was the best golfer in the world and uh, a few weeks later Their cabin, on their jet airplane, small jet, uh, lost pressure, and all the people in the cabin immediately froze to death and lost oxygen. But the plane was on autopilot, and it went for about five hours, and they were tracking it to make sure that it didn't fall near a city, and eventually it just came down in a field in the center of the country. And his friend, Paul Eisinger, at his funeral gave a eulogy that on live national television that gave the plan of salvation. So Payne Stewart had more impact in his death than he did in his whole life there. It's amazing what people can do when they're sold out for Jesus. What difference is is anything that you believe, what difference is it making in the people's lives around you and your kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and friends and neighbors and workmates and classmates and all those kind of things. The gospel is meant to impact our spheres of influence. Not just for us to say, oh yeah, I believe. James says the devil believes in God. It's not doing him any good. It's not enough to just believe. It is authentic faith, real faith that bears fruit. Um, how about the mother's Millions of them. Christian mothers. Sacrificing sleep on many, many nights. Changing poopy diapers. Wiping snotty noses. Cleaning up barf. Sacrificing a career maybe to raise the next generation of authentic Christian believers. That's the works that proceeds from faith. Like Susanna Wesley. She's a famous look just look her up and so it doesn't matter what it is i've told the story of my friend rich moore who they st- their home group started a food ministry out of our church and it grew and grew and grew until in 2008 when i talked to him the previous year they had served three million meals and that started from a small group who just wanted to feed the poor so what do you have in your hand That means, what skill do you have? What training do you have? What background do you have? What talents do you have? What passion do you have? There was a time when Moses goes, I can't speak. I can't talk to Pharaoh. I can't do that. And God says, what do you got in your hand? Well, I got a staff. I'm a shepherd. And he goes, throw it down. And you'll see how this can be used. And that became a symbol of God's authority on Moses. That's all he had. I said, I got a staff. That's it. And God used that to separate the Red Sea, to get water out of a rock, to you know, do all kinds of stuff, to stand and he put his staff in the ground and it stopped the plague instantly. What do you got, what do you got in your hands? And is that redeemed? Is that also purchased by the blood of Jesus? Or is it just a little bit of thoughts up here? Is it just a little bit of belief uh, but no action? And so make sure the belief comes first. The the works don't come first. The works don't save us. But from the belief, from a changed heart, God can do those things. So, our works center around our time. It centers around our money. It centers around our resources. centers around our skills and, and the stuff we have, the staff in our hand. It centers around our strength. What is being used? Here's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus forty four years earlier was a thriving church that Jesus or that Paul wrote the letter to Ephesus through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Ephesus it was a base church. They were going gangbusters, and forty-four years later, when John wrote this of the revelation of Jesus, in Revelation two, verses one through five, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. That's good. Works. Your toil and your patient endurance. That's good. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. That's good. And have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. That's good. And found them to be false. That's great. And I know you're patiently enduring and bearing up for my name's sake, And you've not grown weary. That's good, 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 good. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from when where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Did the works save them? No. But it was proof of their love for Jesus. It was an outworking. It was natural, of course. A young couple just getting married. Of course we love each other. We just committed our lives to each other. We'll do anything for each other. And then 30 years later, or 44 years later, repent. Remember where you've fallen from and do the works you did at first. Bring those flowers. Write those notes. Say those things. Do that serving How is it? How is it our serving the Lord? If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wow. That was a message to the church. He goes, if you don't do this, if you don't get this together, I'm going to come and take this light away and and I'll give it to somebody else who will use it. That's a strong warning. So uh, some of us tonight might be hearing from God to love others in a more detectable way. Some of us might be challenged to get out of our comfort zone, be willing to help someone out, maybe take lunch to a shut-in once a week, or maybe be more consistent in our giving, or um, maybe, I don't see many teenagers here, but teenagers, I'm going to get them on Sunday, bring them here. I'm going to challenge them to keep their room clean. Uh, maybe God is challenging you to have a more honest reputation in, in your business dealings or in your work. What What is God saying to you? That's always the questions we ask. Uh, what's God speaking to me, and what am I going to do about it? So um, my prayer is that people will hear the truth of God's word here and not have one ounce of condemnation. Just what what is God speaking to you? I don't want want to have said anything manipulative, but I I want to present to you what Paul's saying to the church in Rome and what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Uh, It's a big deal. And so sometimes we just kind of slack. We kind of just take a step sideways, and we just stop doing what we used to do. And and pretty soon we get lulled into la-la land. We're not really serving Jesus how we could. So that's—I think—that's the big thing here. Uh, no condemnation. Paul said, "There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus." Uh, but it's a serious thing. What are we doing uh, with what He gave us? What's in our hand, and how can we use that to advance His kingdom and represent Jesus' will? Father, thanks for this word. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that your word isn't always easy. Uh, but it's always for our best. And I appreciate that, Lord, and give you the thanks. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to make any adjustment that you might be calling us to do. And I pray that no one would walk out of here with any condemnation. And Father, I pray that we would have an understanding of what you've called us to do and how you've called us to uh, be purveyors of good works so that people can give glory to God so that people can hear the good news of Jesus, so that we won't be a stumbling block for people in their, in their walk to you, but we will we'll be a stepping stone for them. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.